Well, this month, we're focusing on missions. We've said it's missions month. We've been praying for our various missionaries. You've seen their names in the bulletins. And if you're not familiar with them, on the back, on the wall in the back, we have their pictures and we have their locations, a map of where they're at. So take a moment, please, to, to take a look at that and f- acquaint yourselves with them. And as Steve has mentioned earlier, um, Michael is our missions coordinator, and he's uh, started a, uh, a new program where we email out updates on the missionaries. So if you haven't signed up for that, it's a great way to, to get those delivered directly to you. You can see what's going on with our missionaries, and you can pray for them. You'll know how to pray for them specifically. Now, Pastor Ron has talked about missions for the last couple of weeks, and today what I'd like to talk about is sharing the gospel of Christ throughout the world. And we want to look at what the apostles did, how the apostles shared Christ right from the time of his resurrection and his ascension to what we read in Acts. And that's where we're going to to look today is in the book of Acts. And we're going to take a look at the Great Commission. What did Jesus mean when he said to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations? You see, it was a plan he had. And he accomplished it through the apostles. And it's the same way that we accomplish it today. 2,000 years has not changed Jesus' plan for telling the world about him. Now, I do want to share a story with you a little bit from our pastor search. As you know, we're, we're looking for a new teaching pastor. And as of yesterday, we have 71 resumes that we have received. The 71st came in yesterday. Um, that's a lot of resumes to go through, I have to tell you. Um, so we're, we're working through those. Um, some we've, we've looked at and said they're just not a good fit for Grace Bible Church because of their theology or, or the things that they do in, in their own churches. But others look more interesting and, and ones we're going to be pursuing a little bit to, to take a look at. But it's a very painstaking effort to do this. So we really appreciate your prayers as we go through these and examine who it is that God is sending to us um, for our next teaching pastor. We've seen resumes throughout the country, some from California, some from many other states. We've even got some international ones. We've got, we've got some that have come to us from other countries. Um, as we read through these, and as we, we, we see what's going on with them, there was, there was one candidate that, that, that really struck me, and it's not because he's above the others, but it was something as he corresponded with me and explained to me some things going on um, about his, his church. Um, and I wanted to share that with you today. Um, his church has a lot of assets. They're sitting on a lot of assets. They want to save that. And they want to preserve that for future generations. They want to make sure that the church has this money saved up so that 50 years from now, the church will still be there and still be funded. Which is, sounds like a good idea, but what it means and, and what's been shared with me is that they are limiting what they spend now because they want to keep this in their bank account. They, wanna, they don't want to spend down what they've got, so they're very frugal in what they spend now. Now, you've heard me say it before, and, and it is our thoughts as, as your pastor elders that we hope when Jesus comes, our bank account is really low. We hope that it's nothing. Um, because I really, and none of us really want to stand up in front of Christ and say, well, we saved all this money for you, all this money that's going to be worthless. We're not saving money for our future. 
Now, we are trying to be good stewards of it. Don't get me wrong. We're not just throwing it around. But rather than save money for the future, we're evangelizing in the present. See, it's not about the church continuing 50 years from now. It's about growing the kingdom of Christ now. That's what this is about. And what happens is when we think about continuing the church, we make the church our goal. And our goal is not the church. Our goal is Christ. What do you think would have happened if the apostles had decided not to spend the money on their mission trips, going and sharing the gospel throughout the world? They said, well, we're just going to keep it here in Jerusalem and hang on to it. That's a better idea. Where would the church be today if they hadn't followed Christ's command? You see, the best way to keep a church going is not to store up money for the future. It's to make disciples now. That's how we keep the church going. That's how we spread the kingdom of God, is we make disciples now. I think this candidate believes in that. I don't think he is, is satisfied with where his church directorship is going on this. Um, he sees a need to invest in missions. And in corresponding with him, I really sense his frustration. And I told him we'd pray for him um, as he opened his heart to me a little bit. I'm not going to tell you his name, and I'm not going to tell you his church, and I'm not even going to tell you the city or state he's from. Instead, I'd like to ask us to pray for all of the pastors out there who have a burden for missions, who have a burden for the Great Commission, and want to send people, or want to support the sending of people. They desire to follow the Great Commission as we do. So let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll look at at our message this morning. Heavenly Father, we desire to follow Christ. We desire to do as he commanded us, to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that he has commanded Father, we pray for all those pastors, all those churches out there that desire to do this. Father, we pray that you strengthen them, that you give them clear discernment, clear support as they seek to evangelize in their communities, in their states, in our country, in the world. Father, may your word go out. We know that it does not return void. Father, we rejoice and we praise you even now for those who will be saved through those who obey your command. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we talked about the Great Commission and following the Great Commission. If we're going to do that, we need to really understand what the Great Commission is and what it means, what Christ's plan was for the church. And if we're to follow it, then we follow it God's way. We don't do it our way. We don't make up the rules We follow it God's way. So we want to look in the Gospels for what Jesus said when he told the disciples to go out. So first, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28. And you're all familiar with this passage starting with verse 16. 
says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains in which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And now turn to Mark, the end of Mark, the last chapter in Mark. We'll be in Mark chapter 16. And we're going to start with verse 14. Mark 16, 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at a table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Now, a word about what Mark wrote here in the ending of Mark. It's believed that this is not the original inspired text. If you look, in your, if you look further up, go to 9. Do many of your translations have a bracket around it or, or something? They have a little note up there from Mark 16, 9 on. This appears to be an addendum to what was written by Mark. And so we don't consider it part of the inspired text. I think John MacArthur does a really good job explaining that what has happened is whoever was transcribing this pulled together some things from other Bible passages, from other books of the Bible, and these things are in there. And, and John actually goes through and, and puts through um, where these you can find these in other, in other books of the Bible. So we don't necessarily look at this writing as, as being the part of the original text, but the truth is we glean from other, other books of the Bible uh, is inspired text. Now we've seen what Matthew and Mark write. What we really want to do is look at what Luke writes. And Luke is the author of both the Gospel of Luke and the Acts. And it's a continual account. He wrote it as a continual account. It's in two parts, but it was an account of all that had happened. See, Luke wasn't present for the things that happened at the time of Jesus. He came on board later and then he heard about some of the things that happened with the disciples. And then he palled around with, with Paul. And, and you can see this in Acts as he says, and we and us. So he was present for these. What's really cool about Luke is that it's, it's a report. He's writing a report to Theophilus. And I really came to appreciate it because Luke was an investigator. He was a doctor by profession. But he investigated what was going on. And having had a career in law enforcement, I can appreciate an investigation and look at it like a report. And so when we read this, understand that Luke is very careful to give us historical data by which we can verify what he says. Luke the historian, Luke the doctor, Luke the investigative reporter. 
And it's really a cool thing if you, if you really pay attention to the details in what he says. So then what we're going to do is we're going to read the last verses of Luke, and then we're going to move into Acts. So first turn to Acts 1. And I want you to put your finger there. And then with your finger in Acts 1, turn back to Luke 24. And we're going to start with verse 36. Luke 24, 36. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, and it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. And now turn to Acts 1. And we're going to read from 1 through verse 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. 
And verse 12 tells us, then they returned to Jerusalem. And there's a lot in these verses, but I want to look at some specific directions that Jesus gave to his disciples. In Luke, he tells the disciples that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Are we there? That, that, that sounds good. They're in Jerusalem, and he says everything's proclaimed to all the nations. Start here. Start where you're at. Go to Jerusalem. Well, they're there. Why not, why not start there? Don't travel over to Rome and start preaching from Rome. Don't head over to Ephesus or to Corinth and start there. Start in Jerusalem. Start where you're at. But he does say that this proclamation should be to all nations. So there is the direction that it's going to go out. He said that the proclamation is to be to all nations was written in the scriptures. Jesus says, as it was written in the scriptures. Well, in Genesis, God told Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed through his offspring. In Psalms, it says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the earth shall worship before him. Isaiah wrote, all the nations will go up to the mountain of the Lord. His salvation will reach to the end of the earth. And Malachi said, the Lord's name will be great among the nations. That the name of the Lord, that the glory of the Lord, that salvation of the Lord would be to all nations has been throughout scripture. And this is what Jesus had told them. So in Matthew he told them specifically they were to go therefore and make disciples. He told them specifically to go to all nations. In Luke, he told the disciples they were witnesses. So obviously, it was the disciples who were to go and to go to all nations. So everybody tracking so far? Start in Jerusalem, go to all nations. Scripture said this would go to all nations. You're my witnesses, go to all nations. But then Jesus tells them something incredible. Luke 24, 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He just told them to go. Go to all the nations, but stay here. And in Acts 1, 4, Luke says the same thing. He says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, were they or were they not supposed to go? Why did Jesus tell them to go, but then to stay? So imagine a British military commander. He goes to a platoon leader, and he tells the lieutenant, go seize a hill and plant a flag on it. Conquer it in the name of the king. But right after that, he tells the lieutenant, but don't leave camp. Or if a police officer is told to go rescue hostages in a robbery, but don't leave the police station. Or a firefighter, a paramedic, told to go give first aid to people who have life-threatening injuries at the scene of a traffic accident, but don't leave the firehouse. How does that work? Well, in each case, these people were given an objective. Further the kingdom, free captives, save dying people. But they're told to wait. Jesus told his disciples to wait. 
This was not a trivial command. He wanted them to go, but he first put a condition on their going. So this first part that we just talked about, I'd call the commission. But now I want to talk about the condition, because there was a condition to their going. Recall in Luke, when we read the Luke passage, Jesus said, behold, I am sending the promise of my father. Okay, what was that promise? Well, we look to John. And John 14, 16, and 17 says, and I will ask the father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then later on, in 1426, John writes, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then in John 1526, Jesus says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you've been with me from the beginning. Now, do you see how this ties with Luke? Sending the promise, you are my witnesses. And Jesus has said in John, he said the same thing. Now, a couple things about this helper that is coming. Jesus said he was another helper. Now, the Greek word for that, another, it actually means another of the same kind. Now, sometimes we talk about another vehicle. I have a car and I have a truck. It's another vehicle. They're not the same thing. But this another is of the same kind, which means that this helper, another of the same kind, is God himself. It's not a different kind. And that would have been a different word, but that's not what was used. Jesus is saying the helper was like him. So since Jesus is God, the helper is God. And this is confirmed in Acts 5 when Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead after lying to the Holy Spirit. Paul told Ananias that he had lied to God. And it's further confirmed throughout Acts as the Holy Spirit acts with the authority of God. He tells Peter to go to Cornelius. He directed that Saul and Barnabas be set apart for the work to which he had called them. He forbade Paul and Silas to preach in Asia but to go to Bithynia. He directed Philip to join the Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot. And he appointed elders to oversee or shepherd the church. Luke writes that it was the Holy Spirit that inspired men who were writing scripture. As the Holy Spirit prophesied, as the Holy Spirit told them. These are things that are in the sovereign power of God, not man. The Holy Spirit must be God. Now I know that you know all of this, but it's important that we lay the foundation for what God's purpose was in telling them to wait, because there was a purpose to wait. Jesus told the disciples that the helper, the Holy Spirit, himself God, would be sent to help them. He would bring them, or bring to their minds a remembrance of all Jesus told them. Now think about that. Three years. Do you remember everything you did three years ago? Do you remember everything that was said three years ago? Do you remember the places you went three years ago, the people you talked to? But Jesus said the Holy Spirit would bring to their minds a remembrance. Did you ever wonder how Matthew and John and Peter could remember all that he said and did? It's because the Holy Spirit worked in them, brought it to their remembrance. Now this is a blessing for us because we can know 
what is written is from God. It's not from their simple minds. And yeah, they were simple guys. They weren't learned men. A fisherman, tax collector, these guys were not learned men. But Jesus also told them that the Spirit would testify about him. This helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth will dwell in them and they will testify about Jesus too. The Spirit will testify and they will testify. So now in Luke, Jesus is telling them that he is sending the promise. Before, he had said, the Father will send and I will send. Now he says that he's actually doing it. I am sending. It's like, I'm going to the store. I'm going, I'm going to be going to the store. And then when you're about to leave, you go, I'm going to the store. You're saying you will do it. Now you're saying you're doing it. Jesus has done the same thing here. I will send. I'm sending. So we're to wait for that promise. They're to wait until that promise comes. And it's coming very soon. It happened 10 days later. So let's pick up the story in Acts, and this is where we're going to camp out now. Go back to Acts, Acts 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now notice that in verse 2, it says that Jesus had given commands through the Holy Spirit. Jesus relied on the power of the Holy Spirit throughout his ministry. Now you recall the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove when he was baptized? The Holy Spirit led him to the desert to be tempted. And after resisting temptation, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. He cast out demons in the power of the Holy Spirit. You remember that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And as a man, he relied on the power of the Holy Spirit to resist temptation, to preach, and to heal. And in Luke 24, 49, Jesus told the disciples that they would have power too. Now look at verses four and five. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. As we said, Jesus tells them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. They would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, this is what they were promised. And he says as much in the next couple of verses, in verse 6. And when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now in verse six, the disciples are asking Jesus about restoring his kingdom. Now you can understand what they were thinking. They knew that Jesus was the anointed one, the promised Messiah, the offspring of David, the heir to the throne. And they were no doubt excited about this. They'd been with him for three years. They had seen much and they had suffered much with him. They were distraught at his death. They were overjoyed and overwhelmed at his resurrection. And it's understandable that they would think that now, they would anticipate now is the time. 
that Jesus is going to restore his kingdom. But they and others did not understand that there would be a time gap between the first advent and the second advent when Jesus restores his kingdom. You've heard it said that the Old Testament prophecies can be considered as viewing the coming of the Messiah as two peaks, one behind the other. Now recall that when you look at mountain peaks, sometimes there are mountain peaks behind those mountain peaks. You think you're looking at one, but you're actually looking at two. When you get to the top of one mountain, well, there's the other peak, and there's a big valley between them. Well, in prophecy, this is a valley of time. All the things that were prophesied about Jesus have occurred and will occur. We're seeing some that have been fulfilled, some yet to be fulfilled. And we're looking at two mountain ranges, two mountains, first advent, second advent, and time in between them. Jesus didn't dispute that he would establish his kingdom. He didn't say, well, no, that's not going to happen, or don't worry about that. He said, it's just not for you to know. He steers them away from that talk. He doesn't want to go into it at the moment. Instead, he turns their thoughts back to the mission at hand. And once again at verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He's tied everything together. The disciples will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Remember what he told them from John 14 and John 15. This is the promise from Luke 24 and Acts 1 through 5. And the disciples then will be Jesus' witnesses from Luke 24. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. To the end of the earth encompasses the all nations of Matthew 28 and Luke 24. Notice how Jesus phrased this. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. It's like a ripple forming in a lake. The drop, it spreads, it comes out, it gets wider and wider. Jerusalem is at the center, spreading outward to all Judea and Samaria, continuing outward to the end of the earth. Today, 2,000 years later, that ripple is still going. That ripple that started in Jerusalem is still flowing out 2,000 years later. And we are part of this. We are part of this witness. This is what we've been called to do. Now, for some of you, this isn't anything new. You've heard this. So why go over it? Because I want to share with you there's a reason Jesus directed the disciples to wait in Jerusalem and to not immediately start evangelizing. And this leads to my next point, the recognition. The commission, the condition, and now the recognition. By telling the disciples to wait until they received power from the Holy Spirit, Jesus was emphasizing the role and work of the Holy Spirit to the exclusion of human effort in salvation. Let me say that again. By telling the disciples to wait until they received power from the Holy Spirit, Jesus was emphasizing the role and work of the Holy Spirit to the exclusion of human effort in salvation. Now, we commonly look at the book of Acts in its certain form, and we talk to it as Acts. The longer form is the Acts of the Apostles. Now, some of you might have heard that it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I have no qualms with that. I've come to think of it as the power of God in the Acts of the Apostles, because the book of Acts is a demonstration of the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to go to all the nations, to the end of the earth. 
And it is here that we see the formation and spread of the church. And we know the disciples were indeed baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. It was about 50 days after Passover and about 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. He said not, long for, or not, not many days from now. It was 10 days. From this point and through all of Acts, we see the power of the Holy Spirit in spreading the gospel. The disciples were given the power of God. It wasn't their own power. They were given the power of God. Now, we've already established that the Holy Spirit is God himself. So the power that came to the disciples when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit was that very power, the very same power that Jesus relied upon as he ministered, as he walked the earth. Fully God, fully man. And that same power came to him. And now that same power was coming to the disciples. And we see this immediately after their baptism with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, they began to speak in languages not their own. Many spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It doesn't say that all of them did. It said that many spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they prophesied as the Spirit was poured out on them. This was a power of God. In Acts 4, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit when he preached Christ to the elders and scribes after he and John were arrested. See, they were given the power of the Holy Spirit to testify, the power of God to testify. It was in the power of the Holy Spirit that Peter declared, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And the council was astonished because Peter and John were uneducated common men. They were fishermen. They weren't these erudite scholars. They hadn't been trained up in the schools. They were fishermen. They were blue-collar workers for a living. But see, this is no surprise to us. Jesus told them that when brought before courts and governors and kings, it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. What did John say? The spirit will testify about me. In Acts, we read of believers speaking the word of God with boldness. We read of the apostles giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus with great power. Of Stephen speaking such that his enemies could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. We read of Apollos being fervent in the spirit, accurately speaking and telling about Jesus in Ephesus. All of these things by the power of God to testify about Jesus. But that isn't all. The disciples were given the power of God to confirm testimony about Jesus Christ. The Apostle John, at the end of his gospel, wrote about the many signs that Jesus did so that those reading his gospel would believe that Jesus is the Christ. That was the purpose he wrote of those miracles, so that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ. On the day of Pentecost, Peter declared that Jesus was attested by God with many works and wonders and signs that God did through him. The power of the Spirit. 
He told the Gentiles in the household of Cornelius that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit and power. Jesus healed a paralytic man to show that he had the authority to forgive sins. It was signs and miracles that affirmed that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus cast out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. He healed those who were sick and lame and brought some back to life. He prophesied both of future events and his own death and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit gives gifts to people, among which were the gifts of healing, the working of miracles, and prophecy. In Acts, we read that Paul cast out demons. He healed the crippled man at Lystra. He healed the sick in Ephesus. He healed the father of Publius and others on Malta. He even raised Eutychus from the dead. Now, some could argue that when Paul was bitten by a, a, a snake on Malta, he just threw the snake off, that he actually healed himself. Could be. We read that Peter healed a lame man in Jerusalem. Healed Aeneas in Lydda. He healed a paralyzed man and raised Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, from the dead. Stephen did great wonders and signs among the people. Philip performed signs in Samaria. Agabus correctly prophesied a famine that struck all over the world, and he, tests, and he prophesied about Paul's arrest in Jerusalem. The disciples entire prophesied and Philip's daughters prophesied. Healing, miracles, signs, prophecy. The power of God to confirm testimony about Christ. This is the power of God that is given to all who believe in Jesus. Now I want to just take a quick moment to say that we preach that the sign gifts, healing, miracles, prophecy, those have ceased, those have faded because we have the completed canon of scripture. That's for another sermon. But we do want to talk about the power of God that is given to all who believe in Jesus. See, all of those meeting on the day of Pentecost were filled with the Holy Spirit, not just some. All of them there were. Peter told all who observed those speaking in tongues that they too would receive the Holy Spirit if they would repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Promised immediately to those who were hearing and seeing what was going on. Upon his conversion, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. Cornelius and his household were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so were the disciples in Antioch of Pisidia and in Ephesus. The Holy Spirit comes to all who believe in Jesus Christ. But what happens when there's no power of God? What happens when there's testimony about Jesus, but there's no power of God behind it? Well, Acts tells us of Simon the magician. He amazed people with his magic. People were astonished. They, they oh, Simon, doing magic. They thought he had the power of God. But when Philip, a man full of the Holy Spirit, 
preached the gospel, people believed and were baptized. Even Simon himself believed and was baptized. And when the apostles came to Samaria, they laid hands on people. And the people they laid hands on received the Holy Spirit. Simon was really amazed, and Simon wanted, to, wanted that power for himself. So he asked if he could buy it. They could sell it to him. Paul rebuked him and told him that his heart was not right. See, clearly Simon's attempt to spread the gospel could not be done on his own power. No matter what kind of magic tricks he performed, no matter what he said, he was doing it on his own power. When in Philippi, Paul and Silas encountered a slave girl who did not have the Holy Spirit, but rather a spirit of divination. She followed Paul and Silas around, declaring that they were servants of the Most High God who proclaimed the way of salvation. Well, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, listen to him. They're servants of God. They're going to tell you how to be saved. Paul ordered the Spirit to leave her. She was not testifying under the power of the Holy Spirit. She was testifying under another power, and that's not acceptable. In Ephesus, the sons of Sceva attempted to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. I got to tell you, I, I love this story. They said, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, trying to tell the spirit to leave. Do you remember what happened? The spirit said, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Then the man with the spirit attacked and overpowered all seven of these men who ran away naked and wounded. The sons of Sceva did not have the power of God. All of this shows that attempting to do the work of God without the spirit of God is fruitless. When we do it on our own power, our own juice. So what does that mean for us? What are we to conclude as we look at missions? As we look at sharing the gospel? Well, for one, when we attempt to preach, teach, or share Christ on our own power, we are not effective. We're trying to do it under our own juice. We're trying to do it thinking we're the ones. We're not effective. Paul wrote to the Corinthians that his message of salvation was not from his own words, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Our own words don't save people. These words save people. It is the spirit who saves people, not us. He told the Thessalonians that our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The power of the Holy Spirit. He knew that human attempts would not lead anyone to Christ. Rather, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, Pastor Ron, when he preached out of Ephesians many weeks ago, spoke of, spoke of election, of predestination. Do you see how this all fits in? It is not up to us to convince people to be saved. That would be our work. That would be our power. Those would be our wisdom, words. It is the power of the Holy Spirit 
God has given us the words. He's demonstrated his power. We need to be faithful to that. We need to not rely on our own cleverness. We need not to be, rely on our own way of saying things and think we're so wonderful. It is the power of God. When we preach, when we teach, when we share Christ on our own power, we rob God of the glory because it becomes about us. When we think we are God's gift to the congregation, when we think we are God's gift to the class, to the Bible study, to the children, when it all relies on us, we are robbing God of his glory. The Holy Spirit testifies about Christ, not men. He doesn't testify about men. He testifies about Christ. And when I preach, I'm not here to convince you that I'm some great guy. I'm not here to make you enamored with my personality or tell you all these wonderful things about me. I'm here because the Spirit called me to preach Jesus, not Jeff. I want you to leave focused on Jesus, thinking about Jesus, worshiping Jesus. When the Spirit empowers us, God is glorified, not us. And when someone repents, there is joy in heaven because of what God has done, not because of what we have done. It's because of what God has done. Now, we have all, you and you and you and I, we have all been commissioned by Jesus to testify about him. All of us. If you are saved, if you belong to him, if he is your Lord, you have been commissioned by Jesus to testify. And you are under the condition to do so in the power of the Holy Spirit to give him the glory. Now, we send and we support missionaries to other countries in obedience to Christ. But we're missionaries too, all of us. God is bringing the mission field to Hollister. He's bringing the mission field to us. We've heard about some 1,500 new homes being built. The number is closer to just under 4,000. Just under 4,000 new homes coming to our community. That's a lot of people. The mission field is in our backyards. It's across the street. It's our neighbors. It's the people that are coming to work here. And when they come here, we want to share Christ. The Spirit does not testify about Grace Bible Church. The Spirit does not testify about preachers or pastors or Sunday school teachers or programs. The Spirit testifies about Christ, and that's what we're to testify to. When people come in the doors when they visit with us, whether it's Easter Sunday or Christmas or because they're new to us, share Christ. Show them Christ. Rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid when these opportunities come about. The disciples were turned from those who cowered to those empowered. They were afraid. 
But the Spirit came upon them, and they were bold. <coughs> Share your testimony. Preach Christ to them. Share Christ with them. This is what the disciples did. This is what we're called to do as well. This is the Great Commission. We have the power today. God has given it to us. So follow the commission. Follow the condition. And give God the recognition. He is the one who saves, not us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand amazed before you. A God who sent his only son to die for us, to reconcile us to you. Father, for the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, we are but the present in a line of believers who have sought to follow you. Lord, the ripple does indeed continue as we go to all nations. Whether it's here in Hollister, in San Benito County, whether it's in California or the United States or across the world, Father, we are your witnesses. Father, you've given us your word. We don't have to rely on conventions of men or smart words or clever arguments. Father, it is all from you. Lord, you know whom you've called. Father, help us to be faithful in that. Help us to pray for those that we would share Christ with. And Father, help us to Rely on the peace and comfort that you give us. Knowing that your words do not go out void. They do not return empty. But rather, Father, that all whom you call will be saved at the last day. Help us to understand it is not our effort. It is not our responsibility. And when we try to do so, we rob you of the glory. Father, the five solas that we talk about. Sola Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. And may you be glorified, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.